Log Talk Radio. Welcome to the CONCACAF Champions League Review Show. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the special edition of the Four Seams Fire American Soccer Show, the round of 16 first leg review show of the 2021 CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, I'm back here, excited to bring everyone uh, this big, big time match, these matches involving MLS and Liga MX uh, teams going forward here. It is an absolutely a fun thing to do when you're watching these teams uh, trying, when they do qualify, I should say, when they do qualify for these tournaments, these club tournaments, especially, especially when you're talking about these teams that have won it either through the Open Cup, MLS Cup, uh, Conference Championship, as in the regular season, as well as winning the supporter shield, it is an it is absolutely wonderful to get to these teams, talk about them, and uh, having fun with them. And I'm just happy, very very happy, that we can talk about what happens here in MLS and all of these other people when they are involved in this competition. It is absolutely great to see what will happen, how it will happen, and then we just move on, and we hope that these teams, they move forward, and then we get to the big prize, of course, down the road. It is the CONCACAF Champions League title. Now, for those of you that are not aware, the competition currently is in a bit of a change. It is in a change, I don't know if you say it for the good, for the bad, but until they expand it, right now, we have a tournament where the round of 16 and the quarterfinals begins early in the season. The semifinals and the final will be late in the season. And the final is a one-match, take-it-or-leave-it final. That is something that no one expected. I didn't expect. And then, of course, we all know somewhere down the road in 2023, I believe, they're going to expand the Champions League itself as they bring in a group stage for North America, for Central America, and then for the Caribbean, all remaining regional until we get to the round of 16. So this, my friends, is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been waiting for when we get to 2023. The old Champions League style will remain... But then the new style will begin in the fall 
And personally, in my opinion, that's just an abs- – to me, it, it works perfectly. It works perfectly. I believe in it. I, you know, it's time to see CONCACAF uh, expand the tournament to get stronger, to get better, to give all these different clubs the opportunity to go out and to show why, why these tournaments mean something. I'm not going to say, you know, this will be as good as the UEFA Champions League, but the truth is we have to strive for this as CONCACAF. We have to strive to have this tournament and all the other tournaments. It has to get stronger. It has to get better. These players need to prove their worth. We all know what our players can do. Within the entire confederation, it has to get better. It has to get stronger. And obviously, when you've seen the under-23s in this past Olympic qualifying tournament, it's going to show that this confederation is getting better. It is getting stronger. And we need to make sure. We need to make sure that everything is going to improve itself. The CONCACAF League and expanded its expansion of the CONCACAF Champions League. It is a huge, huge moment, this confederation. And all I can say is it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. Um, And all I can do is tell you that this show, it's going to be exciting to see what's going to happen in the Champions League. So... All I can say is, folks, buckle up, strap yourself in, and just sit back and relax. Because right now, it's the Champions League in CONCACAF. We've got some great guests coming on tonight to talk about it. It's going to be a lot of fun, folks, a lot of fun. We got a couple of first-timers in here. And all I can say is, is that seeing what the Philadelphia Union has grown into right now, and of course, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen. It's going to be very interesting to see how how much the union have grown. Um, big question mark right now. <clears throat> Obviously, with certain per- pieces uh, leaving the club, but once again, uh, that defense of Philadelphia has been solid and growing very well. Jim Curtin has done 
a great job getting those teams of his, those union teams, to play hard and strong. So all I can say is, is that with Jim Curtin at the helm, uh, this union team has really gotten bigger and better. And all I can say is, is this. All I can say is, if, if you're looking for a team that could be a favorite in this competition, I mean, you can point out to the Columbus crew, most of the players are intact, maybe Toronto, but as always, always, you know, don't count certain teams out, certain players out to go forward. Until then, until certain performances happen, you got questions to ask. And here's the other thing, too. Managers come, managers go. I'll be honest, I was very shocked that Chris Armas got himself a job quickly, got himself back on the saddle again. Can Toronto FC make another run to the final and maybe win it this time and representing Canada? We'll find out. Which Liga MX side will make another move to win the title, will be debutantes from last year, kind of like Club America, who had their opportunity and basically assumed that the title was, you know, their, 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 I shouldn't say the title, but at least getting to the final was going to be a piece of cake after all the shenanigans that they pulled against LAFC. And, of course, it was a... Uh, Mexican superstar and Carlos Vela for LAFC who found a way to knock them out after all the shenanigans that happened. Of course, LAFC is not in the tournament this year. So far, I would say Philadelphia has done themselves pretty proud against Aluenza. Uh, excuse me, that was against uh, Deportivo Saprissa. My apologies. I mean, there's still going to be some questions asked when you get to uh, move on forward. So, uh, apparently I have this uh, gentleman who's asking me a separate question. Of course, not on topic, but that's okay. I want to let him know about my answer. Uh, he goes by uh, Hans, who basically asked me, will the Red Bulls win the World Cup? And unfortunately, uh, Hans, the Red Bulls will not be in the World Cup because it's a national team competition. The field is not set. Now, if you're asking about MLS Cup, it's a big question mark right now. So at this point in time, I would say no World Cup for the New York Red Bulls, but MLS Cup, that's going to be a bit difficult to uh, go by, you know, the league season begins 
this coming weekend. We'll have to wait and see what's going to happen. But for now, um, the field is not set for this World Cup for Qatar, and we'll have to wait and find out what's going to happen. So I want to thank Hans for asking me this question and uh, moving forward. So all I can say is, is that when it comes to this competition, this tournament, And all I can say is is that, you know, there's still going to be um, some other moments coming through and when this tournament is said and done with. But it all depends on which MLS team is going to advance, you know, as deep as possible into the final. We all know Liga MX sides are always going to be tough to play against. <clears throat> Pardon me. But once again, it's a situation where we're just going to have to wait and see what's going to happen. And we're going to have to wait and see how it's going to happen. And all we can do is just move on, move forward, and see where the journey takes everybody. You know, Columbus is pretty good, as I've said. Philadelphia, I think, could be the uh, the upset special. Atlanta, it's all about, I would say, Joseph Martinez coming back at full strength. Uh, will Barco, Ezekiel Barco, will he finally step up? Will this Atlanta team finally step up with Gabriel Hanze, Heinze as manager of the club? Will that happen? Obviously, you know... Portland, they're always a tough side in the Western Conference. Seattle. But we'll have to wait and see. We'll just have to wait and see. It'll be fun. should be exciting. And I just cannot wait to uh, get this thing going and move it forward, and let's see what happens here. Now, I got great guests for you tonight. We're going to have on uh, later on tonight Dwayne Rollins, representing on Toronto FC, for, uh, and, of course, you have um, Matt Ralph, brotherly game of SB Nation. We're going to have on Patrick Gouldan, the Master Report in Columbus, Kyle Garcia, Stumptown Footy, supposed to have on um, Jason Longshore of 92.9 FM, the game. Now, not his fault, because let me explain to everyone what happened. Uh, I was away for a week, uh, and I was supposed to come back this past Sunday night, or Sunday afternoon, Flying back from Florida, I had to visit my mother. I uh, haven't seen my mother in over a year because of the pandemic. So I had to go and visit my mother and my 92-year-old grandmother. And then, of course, in Florida, this huge rainstorm, thunderstorm, you know, terrible storm, whatever you want to call it, uh, grounded me at the airport. So I could not fly back home. I was at the airport at... Fort Lauderdale International from 12.30 in the afternoon on Sunday till midnight. 
so many moments, so many times they're saying, well, the flight's going to be delayed. Here's a new takeoff departure time, another departure time, changing gates, gate roulette. And then they finally canceled the damn thing on mid, midnight Eastern time. And uh, my mother had to come and pick me up. So I was supposed to have a recording session with Jason Longshore today for tonight's show. Did not happen. I had to call him up and I had to tell him that uh, I apologize. I can't make the recording because uh, they set me up. And this is JetBlue. They set me up a flight uh, from Fort Lauderdale to Boston and... They wanted me to, you know, take another flight to go from Boston to JFK, but it was a four-hour layoff, so I can't do that. So I took the train home, and, you know, it makes no sense to do uh, a show, um, and I can't do a recording with him because the um, I didn't want to be disruptive to my fellow train passengers because what I did was I took the Amtrak, the train home, from... Boston, Massachusetts to Newark, New Jersey, and then get on local New Jersey transit train, and I got home. I'm able to do the show. I'm here for you guys. I'm here for you guys, as always. I'm able to do a show for you. But all you got to say is this. If I'm not able to do a show, and obviously I'd let everyone know. But I was happy to uh... – so all I can tell you guys is that I appreciate everyone's patience with me. I appreciate everyone being uh, being able to uh, join me tonight. And all I can say is I'm going to try and uh, you know, help you guys out as much as possible, of course. You know, thanks to CONCACAF and everything and, uh, you know, with the videos and the stats. Um, it's absolutely fantastic, of course, and, you know, moving forward. But let me just say this. Let me say this. And all I can tell you is this. Is that I feel like This is one of those tournaments this season that it's going to be huge. This is going to be a big-time thing. Now let's get to Atlanta. You know, Atlanta United taking on a huge opponent in Aluenza from Costa Rica. And, you know, those are one of the two to three clubs 
in Costa Rica, you got to watch out for. Those are one of those two to three clubs that you know you're in for a fight. A big, big fight. Kick, scratch, claw their way to an opportunity to beat any side that's in front of them, including an MLS side or an M- or a Liga MX side because these are the games you must go out and take an, take on an opponent that is either equal or better than you. And as of right now, and let me just also say that Deportivo, uh, excuse me, Aluenza and Deportivo Saprisa, those are usually the big, big clubs in Costa Rican soccer that you have to watch out for in a tournament like this. To see the red card being given to Brad Guzan, you know, you have to say, unfortunately, that was the right call. You had to say, unfortunately, that's the right call. That was um, the right idea because, obviously, Brad Guzan did not hold up. He did not pull out of the tackle. Yes, he tried to go after the ball, but he got his man. I, I just feel like for Brad Guzan, you know, he overdid it. Every once in a while, I'm not saying Brad Guzan is a uh, terrible keeper. No, he's a good, solid keeper. He's done well. The thing is, you just got to be careful when you're taking on these clubs in, in Central America and the Caribbean. So... It's going to be interesting to watch when you take on these teams. And then, of course, you know, they get a penalty to convert, to make it 1-0, Ezekiel Barco. Watching the, the video, watching the matches, um, watching the goal, I, I thought he got lucky, Barco. Not saying, you know, it wasn't skill or anything like that. I felt that the penalty myself, from my, from my personal opinion, I thought he didn't – I mean, he took the penalty well, but I don't think it was well enough where he smashed it. I don't think he put enough pace on it. I mean, he took the penalty. It went in. That's all that matters. He converted it. It's a goal. It's an away goal. And you're down at 10 men, so it's heroic enough as it is. And I'm not poo-pooing the result. It's a great result to get an away goal against a team from Costa Rica that is getting better and improving themselves. The point is, is that I thought the penalty should have been taken a little bit better. That's all it is. But it was taken. The keeper did not get it. And Atlanta United move on into the second leg to come home, to take on Aluenza, and to finish the job this week in Hotlanta, in the Peach State. I, and, you know, give the backup keeper a lot of credit. 
I didn't get his name, unfortunately. Um, I'll get it next time. But I will say this. You know, I thought he played strong. I thought he played well. He was up to the task. You know, when you take over for Brad Guzan in a situation where he gets the red card because of the tackle he committed, and, you know, you don't have him, you don't have him for the rest of the match, and you're not going to have him for the entire second leg back in Atlanta. So this is where, as a backup goalkeeper, you have to be strong for that second leg. You really have to be strong for that second leg now because all the eyes are going to be on the keeper. Brad Guzan, international keeper for the U.S. men's national team, has played in you know a lot of probably UEFA Champions League, at one point in his life, maybe Europa League, one point of his life being in Europe. Tons and tons of FA Cups, tons and tons of League Cups for Brad Guzan. You're taking away a very big component of the Atlanta United defense. You're taking away a huge component of the Atlanta United defense. And that is the goalkeeper who has tons of experience. Because if you remove him, and he's going to have some dodgy moments, you're not going to know what's going to hit you. He could fumble it. He could uh, find a way to uh, make several mistakes. And that's going to be the big question mark for the second leg this week. What will Atlanta United do without Brad Guzan? Will this run? Even though it just got started, will this run be over before it even gets underway? Because that's the big question mark right now for Atlanta United. It's not so much it's the offense. It's not so much the midfield. But even though you will have confidence in your back line, Will the communication lack? Will the communication falter? Will Atlanta United, with the backup goalkeeper and their back line, will there be missing any communication with that back line to prevent Aluenza a sniff at goal, or at least to put it on frame and look dangerous? One goal is not enough in this match, in the second leg, which will be down at Mercedes-Benz Stadium unless they decide to go to their uh, other location. But all I can say is this. If there's going to be clear and, and precise communication between the goalkeeper and the back line, then off to the quarterfinals they go. Because as of right now, right now, while Atlanta United is up by a goal to nil on aggregate and up by a goal to nil on away goals, this is the biggest question mark right now for Atlanta going into their second leg. Will their backup goalkeeper, who hasn't done anything, will he have the nerve? 
to play the best 90 minutes in his life. I'm not worried about Atlanta scoring. I think they'll score. I'm worried about the defense right now. Not worried about the back line because they're good. It's the communication with the back line and the goalkeeper I'm really concerned about right now. If that communication is solid, and that communication is strong, then Atlanta will move on to the quarterfinals, and Atlanta will do some damage. That's all I can say. As I've said, if the goalkeeper is going to be on his game and his head screwed on right, then I'm telling you right now, my friends, everything is going to be right in this rain for Atlanta United, and they will advance into the quarterfinals. It should be exciting. It should be a lot of fun. And let us all hope that Atlanta United will be able to get on their horse and move forward. Let's see what happens. And let's see what will happen if Atlanta United does the job. Speaking about doing a job, joining me right now from, of course, the 24th Minute blog, part of Soccer Today, uh, at the Sports Podcasting Network up in Canada with Kevin Laramie, the one and only, my friend, your friend, He's all of our friends. Dwayne Rollins joins me on Toronto FC. Dwayne, good evening. Um, so I know it's only been one match, but how do you like Chris Armas so far as uh, head coach, and what do you see that you like or dislike? Um, you know, one match, obviously the caveat there. What I will say is a lot of TFC fans were quite curious to see how he would incorporate uh, the press, the high press that New York likes to play with, and, and they have said that they want to bring here that sort of higher energy um, that PC didn't really have in the last couple of years. They, they were an older team. They didn't. They, they sat back and played more of a possession game, uh, weren't necessarily trying to recover the ball up higher up the pitch as they like to do in New York. So we we're interested to see how that he'd incorporate that with, you know, with guys that you wouldn't necessarily think um, had the legs to do that. And of course, I'm talking primarily about Josie Altidore and Michael Bradley. Um, which a lot of the focus obviously gets put on for good reason. Um, what I found interesting about the game uh, against Lyon was that, you know, they, they did that. They did it quite successfully, but it wasn't necessarily with the players we expected. And, and primarily he relied on, you know, some kids that have been around for a while, have come up through the TFC Academy that, that maybe don't have the highest profile uh, amongst those outside. Even in Toronto, they don't have that highest of, high of a profile, to be honest. Um, the only of the players that, that started up top, uh, you know, to do that heavy work uh, that you might have known was uh, Jacob Schaffelberg, who played a little bit in the league, but but primarily these are guys that were making their first start. And, and you know what? It, it worked pretty well for one game. And, you know, it's one game. You don't want to think too much on it, but uh, you could kind of see what they were looking to do. Um, and it kind of gave, I think, you know, what a difference a week makes. If you had talked to me a week ago about the feeling up here, there was, I don't want to say despair or or, cynicism or sort of uh, pessimism about it, but, but there was certainly questions and, and people wondered whether the end of the, the line had come, even though this was a team that last year had finished second overall in the Sports Shield race. 
you know, there was a feeling that maybe with the Amis coming in that, that, and, you know, them saying they're going to play younger kids and they haven't signed an EP. They have a DP slot open the last time they had a DP slot open in a long time. Um, you know, what does that mean? And, and one better, one result, but uh, it gave a lot of people up here the thought that, that they certainly can be good enough to get to that summer point where they will, you know, you would think fill that DP slot and then, you know, who knows, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I think because, you know, Ali Curtis was also at the time the Red Bulls sporting director when Chris Armas was a part of Jesse Marsh's uh, coaching staff. So obviously there's a familiarity right there. Um, and was that surprising to you that even though, like you said already, you know, Chris went with some TFC Academy prospects, which I'm not saying, you know, they're terrible or anything like that. I mean, you know what goes on over there than I do, obviously, but you know, giving these kids an opportunity, especially in a big match, a huge match in the CONCACAF Champions League, and to start them off right off the bat. I mean, I'm assuming TFC's plan was to get a little younger, wasn't it? Yeah, they they have, but they have put invested a lot in the academy side of things here over the past five or six years. We haven't seen the fruits of that as much as, as sort of development people would like. And a big part of that was because under Greg Vanny um, and just under um, Tim Bezuchenko as well, they favored sort of the MLS veteran to these guys. And even though they were producing players that they felt, you know, were very significantly strong. And, you know, just as a quick aside, like if TFC's Academy doesn't get the same attention as a Dallas Academy out there or even an RSL Academy, but you think about it, they produce some, some pretty solid players. They haven't always turned out for TFC. Mark Anthony Kay would be a, a prime example of a player that came out of the TFC Academy system that ended up, you know, eventually through Louisville then first and then eventually landed in LAFC and becoming a key part of that team, right? You know, and you have um, uh, uh, lots of guys uh, uh, that are that are sort of uh, standing up and, and, and being seen in the last little while. And names escaped me the one player. That's why I was stumbling there a bit, but we'll move on. It's you know, something that they have taken a lot of pride in. So when they, they bring this system into play where where they are going to prioritize that moving forward, then then we didn't know whether to believe that when they said that. But so far after one game, you know, I welcome it personally because I'm a Canadian development guy, so I want to see these guys get a chance. But I, if you can combine that with, you know, solid play where you can win an MLS too, then then great. Um, I think ideally what Ali Curtis has suggested is that what TFC can be is they can use that Red Bull system, but put a little bit more investment in it. So they have the three high profile DPs and they incorporate their Academy system. Um, and to that end as a final thought on this long rambling answer. And sorry if you hear my dog crying in the background. Um, Bill Manning was, <laughs> Bill Manning was, uh, was talking uh, to an interview, you know, with um, a local journalist last week where, they asked him about the young, the young money program, the the 22 initiative, and they essentially said in that thing that no, they, they, after watching those kids in those first two games and knowing them, what they can offer, that they don't think they're going to be participating in that, which means that TFC will be continuing on the process where their DP spend will come at the high, high end um, to sort of supplement the young players around it. And, and you know, in theory, that's a pretty good system to try and follow. Oh, absolutely, I think so too. And you know that, that and that. That also helps the national team as well, finding new players. I mean, obviously, 
I mean, Toronto probably had some of those players uh, playing for the Canadian Olympic team that tried to qualify for the Olympics. Unfortunately, it didn't happen against Mexico. But, um, you know, all you can say is, you know, try your best for another four, four years, and hopefully it does happen. You know, when you're taking on a club, a, a team like Club Leon, um, I, I mean, you know, they they play well in front of their fans, but just sometimes I just feel like, you know, and we'll get to the second leg in a minute, but I, I just feel like, you know, this was a draw that they should never have had. I mean, obviously they had a 2-0 lead over LAFC, and then they come to L.A., and then they just fall apart. They completely fall apart. They think they're going to win the, leg, the, the, the round of 16. And then here comes LAFC with three straight goals to make it 3-2. Do you feel for Toronto that you got them right where you want them? Because even though it was an own goal by Leon, I mean, basically you got the away goal through their help. Yeah, I mean, got them where we want them is probably a bit strong. Although, you know, if you just want to look at it purely from a probability standpoint, TFC would be moderately favorite now to go through. Now, that's not considering the fact that it's a Ligue Maxi team, like, you know, just in terms of pure numbers, I'm saying. Um, I still think Leon will likely win the second leg for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, TFC is still kind of in transition. They still are learning a new system. They you know, Josie Altidore did go out with a hamstring. Surprise, surprise. Uh, in the first leg, and looks like he probably won't play this week. So, so there's questions there. But I, I certainly think what TFC has them right now is in a position where they could win. And honestly, heading into this game, from a TFC perspective, you can't be upset unless they go out and completely, you know, get blown out or something. Um, I think it's hard to leave it, even if they do end up losing a narrow a narrow loss that to, to be too upset because of everything around it. And if you're looking ahead, um, there's a lot to like about the result when you transfer that onto, to an MLS perspective. I, 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 you know, people didn't quite know what to think this year. I think that they showed evidence last week that they can continue to at least be quite close to where they were last year, which will give them a chance in, in to, you know, to be back in the Champions League next year as a Canadian champion at the very least. And, it, you know, in an ideal situation, if everything hits, they could be going deep in an MLS playoff at the end of this year if they had the right piece. So, so that's all positive. But in terms of the CCL, yeah, I give them a chance uh, for the reason you just said. Leon has shown vulnerability in this competition before. Uh, TFC, they did, you know, benefit from an own goal, but they did produce chances as well. There, there were some some good opportunities there. It wasn't a completely one-sided leg by any means, um, and they are not going to be playing on altitude this time. And they won't be, you know, they have one more week of training, and that makes a big deal this early in the season. I think all the MLS teams, you know, and they all did well last week, uh, considering. But all the MLS teams are really going to benefit from that extra week when you're this early in the season. Every day on that training pitch matters, and. All of this adds up to, to giving TFC a chance. Um, and if they, you know, you know if, you, if I'm going to be completely partisan here for a second and just look at it from, a, yep. you know, what does this mean moving forward? Absolutely. If they can get a result of this, then suddenly you get a couple more weeks of training and you don't know what you could happen because if you can get through that second round, and this is any MLS team here, you then can have the entire summer to truly add. And that's the biggest weakness of all of these teams right now is that they this hasn't been a typical MLS offseason. You don't have your big name players coming in. There's still lots of room. There's going to still be lots of changes in the summer. And TFC is going to be likely making one of the bigger ones. We don't know that name yet, but they're not coming in. With, you know, This is a club that has shown time and time again that when they, 
they dip in their toe into the DP market, what they come out with are, you know, Alejandro Pozuelos and Sebastian Javinkos. So, you know, there's a lot to look forward to there. Now, I want to ask you this question, obviously, and uh, that was for the Canadian spot. I know how proud you are as a Canadian soccer fan, a Canadian soccer journalist. Obviously, Anthony Totera, you know, who had his show, works for the Canadian Premier League now. Um, obviously, tough to see Hamilton Forge not advancing into the round of 16, but for them to have that moment to take on a club like Toronto, what did that mean for Canadian soccer on the club side and national side as a whole to have a Canadian Premier League side taking on a Toronto F- an MLS side, I should say, not for a Canadian championship, but for an international spot. What was that like for you? What did you feel? Well, I mean, the, the game didn't happen yet, so we, we should start there. Uh, they had to postpone it because of COVID, but, but what will happen is that game will, will happen in the summer when uh, they will be able to have fans in there. They're, they're going to wait until there's fans, and I think that's, uh, Daniel, the important thing that will happen in this match because, you know, for our American listeners out there, which I assume are most, uh, to give you a little quick geography lesson, Hamilton, Ontario is about 40 miles from Toronto. So it is very much uh, part of the same metropolitan region. This is a metropolitan derby. Uh, it is the second largest center. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Mississauga, is, which is a suburb, pure and simple, of Toronto, is, is bigger. But in terms of independent kind of feeling places, it's the second largest city um, in the, the GTA. Ottawa would be bigger in terms of the province. But but it's a significant deal there. They they have um, a bit of a rivalry in the CFL. Uh, it is a very one-sided rivalry there where the Hamilton fans care a lot and the Toronto fans don't care at all. And that has to do with their attitude towards the CFL. But this will be maybe the first time that these two cities will have an opportunity to to play each other in a in a real way um, in a sport that that has this international appeal. And and the other thing adding to it, uh, you know, this is a, an area that might be of interest to people is that Forge isn't officially connected to the academy Sigma FC, which you may have heard of because Sigma FC is where Rishi Larea has come through, where Kyle Lyon has come through, where, where multiple players, those are the two biggest likely, but multiple players of significant skill, several pros, a lot of NCAA guys. So it's a very big development player in this region. That That is, Forge is essentially the top of their pyramid, and they compete very significantly with TFC across all age groups. So this, this in that way, for talent for this in that way is going to be the first opportunity for those two programs, which are the absolute two power programs in the province uh, for talent uh, acquisition at the youth age to, to really play each other. Now it's also, you know, adding to the spice of this game will be that there are several former TFC players from this, both TFC first team, um, not guys that would have starred, but certainly that played uh, dip their toe in there. Um, Kyle Becker, some people might remember him, a Boston College grad. Um, Mulba Bully is a guy that if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know. I, I make reference to him. He's a, one of those uh, unicorn players that came out of nowhere in uh, the province a few years ago. So he's a former TFC player as well. Uh, a cup of coffee, but nonetheless. So there's some, some intrigue there as well as several former academy players. So it is a big deal. It is significant. And, you know, final thought, Forge has been a remarkable program in the Canadian Premier League in the first two years. They are head and tails above the rest of the teams in that league in terms of talent. They are the two-time defending champions in that league. They are the favorite to win a third-strike title. This is a dominant team in this. 
an opportunity to play is significant for them. And, um, you know, while they have a chance in that game, they wouldn't have had any chance had the game gone, gone as planned in the spring. The reason they had to cancel it is because they couldn't train. Like literally could not train because of government restrictions. TFC got a waiver that Forge did not manage to get. So it would have been one-sided. It would have been dangerous to play the game bluntly. Um, so equal form the game will be in Hamilton. That was part of their agreement to, to postpone the game and forfeit the spot to the CCL. It'll be with fans back. It's something that I think a lot of Canadian fans are looking forward to because of course we're a long way from fans here still. Uh, we're probably of course. three, four months away. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I hope you guys can get uh, fans back and get back, uh, get those butts back in the seats. I know it's been a slow move here in the, in the uh, States. Um, some places it's uh, 10%, 15% uh, capacity, maybe a little bit more as other places, but you know, just gotta stay strong and wait for uh, that time when, we can say goodbye to this freaking thing. But anyway, Dwayne, good luck this week against Club Leon. I know it's going to be somewhere in the States. you got to play it in Florida, I believe. But uh, hopefully Orlando, TFC yeah. can get out there. Yep. And hopefully TFC can move on to the next round. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you on Friday, okay? Cheers, bud. Cheers. Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Blog, sport, uh, Soccer Today, Sports Podcasting Network with Kevin Laramay. Uh, they do a great job. They're on Twitter. Follow them on Twitter. They do a great job covering not just soccer, but also uh, the Canadian soccer scene. First timer. This is a virgin of CONCACAF Champions League moments. He's a good friend of mine, of course, Matt Ralph, brotherly game of SB Nation, covering the Philadelphia Union. 1-0 victory over Deportivo Saprista on the road in Costa Rica. That was a magical moment. I know something... Terrible happened. We'll get to that in a minute. But, Matt, if I can just say this, uh, I think that's a great start for your first match in International Cup competition. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, it was, you know, not sure what to expect from you know, a team with some injuries and, you know, coming out of preseason, which wasn't, you know, four games. It was only four-game preseason. So it was hard to know what to expect from the group. And, you know, I think – you know, both teams were pretty banged up and missing players. And, you know, ultimately it was the union, you know, getting the goal they needed uh, away from home and, you know, their defense really, really limiting, um, really limiting Saprisa from open play really should have scored from some set pieces, including one where Kendall Watson was left wide open um, in front of the goal and completely missed his header. But, you know, it was, it was a good performance overall. I mean, you know, typically the union don't don't play so great coming out of preseason. So, um, in their first game in the season, you know, so it was definitely a good result. And you know, certainly, um, you know, it was it was it, a lot of positives to take away from it for sure. You know, it really was. And I have to say, you know, I, I mean, I'm not. I don't know how familiar you are with the Ricardo Saprisa Stadium. I mean, that's the that's the name of the gentleman named after the club. Obviously, the, also known as the Dragon's Den back in the day when they had a dragon, a purple dragon, um, as their logo. Now it's just a big freaking white block S for Saprisa. But still, though, that is um, a place where, you know, that's a horror show. I remember, <laughs> I don't know if you remember this. No, I'm being serious. When it comes to, like, the national team for Costa Rica, oh, before yeah, they absolutely. built their, yeah. uh, their national team stadium, the turf, it was the worst turf possible. 
It was like the old AstroTurf. It, you know, you knew where the rug burns were. You knew where the bad spots were to step in or to take the tackle or commit a tackle. I mean, it was an a- absolute horror show. The, the Dragon's Den, they call it, rightfully so. I mean, every Saprisa fan's on top of you, a Costa Rica on top of you, no matter what. Obviously, now they have a beautiful facility in downtown San Jose, Costa Rica. But still, though, that place is a house of horrors, Matt. Yeah, and you know certainly no fans there didn't uh, didn't hurt the the union's chances uh, going into the game. But you know it's still you know it's a travel, it's it's a, a new experience for. Uh, I don't think there's a person on the roster that's been in Champions League. Uh, so um, maybe uh, maybe Aurelian Colin, I guess he probably was, um, but uh, not that he would play. Um, he's he's firmly the the backup at this point, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely uh, you know you know Jim had Curtin had said uh, you know repeatedly out you know they were lucky to not have fans showing up to the game because of how you know how challenging that can be. But you know you you play the games you have and whether there's fans or not, that's you know that's you know you know that that that's not really uh, <laughs> on the teams necessarily. So you know again, I think it is uh, um, you know when when that draw comes out, you think well if there's fans there, that's going to be a really uh, really challenging, uh, re- tra- challenging trip for them, but still a trip even just you know going to a new country, going to a new place for a lot of these guys. Um, obviously not for Jim, but you know for the team and you know to come back and you know be in a position now Wednesday night where you know even a zero zero result will get them through. So um, you know it's uh, again it's a it's a good good start for for this team in, in new territory. I have to say, though, Casper uh, Shabilko, what a great goal he scored. He was in the perfect position to take uh, that cross, and he heads it in. Thunderheader in there. Um, I mean, we all know a big-time player for the Union, you know, Polish international. I, I mean, I would have to say for him and for the Union, you know, Jim Curtin has done a fantastic job implementing a style that he wants to play bringing in these players that will play for him, that will, uh, you know, attack. And, you know, now you're seeing them building a play, moving forward, not saying they were never dangerous, but I think you can agree with me that maybe at times the sporting director did not mesh with the ideas that Jim Curtin on what or how he wants to play with his union squad. And it looks like now, like, they're both working well and they're getting this squad to move forward. Even though you've lost Aronson to Red Bull Salzburg, still, though, at the moment, I know it's only been one match, it looks like they have not lost a step. Yeah, you know, again, I think, yeah, it's one match. It's hard to it's hard to really judge. I mean, they were missing. I mean, Caster was a bit of a surprise that he was able to play 90 minutes. Uh, you know, he, he had been dealing with back spasms and had an injection in his back, so... You know, there were a couple moments even in the game where, you know, some, you know, he was fouled from behind, and you kind of, you kind of held your breath a little bit because, you know, they they did not have a forward on the bench. Uh, Anthony Anthony Fontana, who's, you know, more of a midfielder playing, you know, pairing with with Shabilka for the match. Uh, you know, they're not they weren't deep at the forward spot to begin with, and, uh, you know, maybe they'll pick somebody up in the in the summer transfer window to to add to that depth, but. You know the the goal. You know certainly the goal was 
um, you know, was, was, was a wonderful goal, a team goal. I mean, you look at Jose Martinez playing that ball and, uh, you know, downfield recognizing that Bedoya was there and he had a size advantage on the guy who was marking him. Bedoya, you know, it's not often you see Bedoya kind of post up with his back to the goal, head down, head down a ball to Fontana who gets it out wide to Baizo for, you know, a, a beautiful cross there. I still scratch my head a little bit about how you know if, if you're going to lose if you're going to lose a mark, Casper uh, Shabilko is not the guy you lose a mark on, um, and you know he just kind of walks in without anybody really really paying too close attention to him, and uh, you know unchallenged free header, and you know he's he's not going to miss he's not going to miss too many of those. Uh, Watson missed a couple himself, but you know Shabilko is a four, <laughs> and you know he's not a center back who's good, who, who who doesn't get those chances and doesn't miss them, so. Um, yeah, you know, you know, he again, he was a question mark. So it was good to see Shabilko. I mean, leading into that game and some of these preseason games, I mean, you had basically no forwards available. Uh, so uh, it was it was a good uh, a good boost for the team to have him um, have Shabilko out there. And you know, he hasn't been in great goal scoring form. I think that's his second goal in maybe his last eight or nine games. So. Um, you know, that's, you know, another encouraging sign just to get him started. You know how strikers are sometimes, right, where you just – you get them one and they're, they're good. Um, they'll, they'll score – you know, he's the kind of guy will – well, he could go on and score, you know, six or seven goals in the next five games. And, and as long as he's – he gets off the mark, he's good to go. But, um, yeah, definitely um, he's he's an important player in uh, – in their team, especially while uh, Sergio Santos and Corey Burke are still out injured. If they are, I mean, we'll, mm-hmm. see, we'll see if they're available for Wednesday. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, that's, that's probably the worst decision by a referee I've ever seen in my life. I think you can, we can both agree. The tackle of all tackles. It's the tackle yeah, of yeah. all tackles. I swear to God that. I mean, uh, Daniel Colindras just comes in two-footed. I know he separated his little, but still, though, I mean, I think he scissored his leg. Uh, I forgot who it was that suffered it, but, you know, uh, you know how can kind you of give a yellow card? Yeah, yeah well, so it's, it's interesting, Carl Wagner, um, it's, you know, the left oh, back, Wagner. so it's interesting – uh, it, the the whole the whole situation the thing that really stands out to me is that so you know Matt Real subs in you know second half there's there hasn't been a card shown the whole game and it's not exactly a game you would think there wouldn't be a card in um, there were definitely a fair amount of fouls being built up but the, the ref was not really um, you know he wasn't going to his book and then Real slides in on on Ricardo Blanco um, a really really just uh, I mean, a dangerous challenge. Uh, really, I, live, I thought it, I thought it was red. Um, so he comes in. Well, first of all, I think uh, Shabilko gets fouled, nothing, or gets you know maybe gets fouled. It looked like he he goes down anyway. Um, and then the re, sort of Real just kind of quickly reacts and slides in with a you know a sliding challenge on 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 Blanco. He gets a yellow, which is the first card of the night, and that's uh, what is that like the. <laughs> Seventy uh, something minute or, or whatever, um, which again, it's like yeah. okay, how are there no cards in this game? 
and then I think from that moment on, that's that's where that's where the the referee, you know, if if you look back and you say, okay, does he maybe there should have been a card before then, right? Because when when ref the way re, re, the whole point of a card is to manage the game, right? So the referee's not handing out any cards. Yes. Then he has a questionable yellow on Real, which which Blanco obviously is not happy about, um, and so that raises the temperature right there, and then. Um, you know, Blanco, he's been around a long time, right? He's not, he's not, he's, he's like a 31 year old player. He's a veteran. And I think he's probably still a little steamed from that, uh, from that not being a red. And then obviously they're losing the game there. It's basically the, the, the end of the game. And then he slides in on the challenge. And certainly if Real gets a red, that's, that's, there's no question if that's a red, right. Uh, within the game. Um, but you know, and, and then, <laughs> And that's not to say that those tackles are even comparable because uh, Real, like I said, you know, it, it looked red. It, you know, I, I wasn't completely. I mean, you've seen you've seen those called you know yellows before. I don't know how in the world anybody could could argue that Blanco's challenge on Wagner was a yellow. So, um, so it, you know, it it, it, it de- does definitely a lot of questions about the game management from the referee in that situation. Glasses. Lessons probably could have got red too. Uh, you know, there's there's a, there's a few uh, things that happen. I mean, not you know, no, uh, you know, completely understandable that Glessis is sticking up for his player. But you know, there's some, you know, some some really interesting things happening in there. And then in the midst of that, you know, Quinn Sullivan gets his uh, first team debut, and he comes in, and you know, two minutes later, you know, not even two minutes after checking into the game, the whole thing kind of goes goes haywire um and then you know they get the they get the win but it does definitely put um it definitely puts a conca cap spin on the way uh the, the way things ended there in uh in San Jose doesn't it night. always doesn't yeah. it always <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was too quiet it was like it was like it was like uh you know a lot of a lot of union fans were saying you know this is the first time watching not necessarily watching the champions league but watching it with the intensity you know it's different when you're watching a team that you really you know, are invested in and you know all the players and then just watching a game and, you know, for the fun of watching a CONCACAF match. Uh, but, you know, a lot of that's what a lot of fans were saying is like, you know, it just felt it something felt off. You know, it was like, well, this is too quiet. Like this, this hasn't been that hard earned of a, you know, of a win at this point. And, uh, you know, CONCACAF, the CONCACAF gods were like, okay, we we still have something left to, 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 to say about that before uh, before you go home back back home to Pennsylvania, so uh, it definitely did. Uh, it did you know, take a, what, a turn it's still because it's like, yeah, but you know what I'm. But you know what it is though. It's more like you know. All right, you you know you want to open your mouth. You want something spicy. Here you go. And okay, you had to open your <laughs> mouth. You had to say something now. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Yep, yep. What this? We didn't want this, but it comes anyway. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, actually, in, in, in some ways, in, in some ways, you could say that it, it is actually good for the union because now there's even more, uh, a little more fire, a little more, uh, you know, coming home. I mean, they have they have a little more pressure on them, right, as a home team. But and they'll actually have fans rooting for them in the stands this time. But you know, it definitely does raise the. <laughs> You know, it just raises the level a little bit in terms of how they're going to come out. You know, there's going to be – I mean, I, I assume 
Blanca will be playing, I guess. Um, so, you know, there's, <laughs> there's going to be, you know, that, that's going to be interesting. Certainly the fans are already ready to, to um, you know, whether he's playing or not, or if, he, if he's in the building, he's going to hear about it for sure. Yep, we'll see what happens. Okay, Matt, I'll talk to you on Friday. Same Zero, time. three, one, is not available at the tone. I guess someone is not ready to come on yet, but um, I'll talk to you on Friday, Matt. Thanks again for uh, yep. jumping on. I appreciate it. And uh, let me just say this. Actually, let me ask you this last question before I say goodbye to you. You got the away goal. Now you're expecting a better performance this this week? Absolutely. I mean, playing playing in front of the home fans, you know, you, you, you could see Burke and or, um, you know, Santos back. I mean, we'll see what Curtin says in the pregame tomorrow in terms of their – whether they'll be available or not. But, you know, you, it, it certainly you would expect the union to come out and, you know, maybe win another game 1-0. Maybe, you know, maybe maybe there's no goals. I, I, I do, But I do think that they – they have the advantage and they're going to, they're going to be filled with confidence after, you know, anytime, anytime a team wins a game without playing their best, I think um, they can be really dangerous because they recognize like, Hey, we didn't really play our greatest soccer. We're still rusty and we're still trying to figure this out, but we got a victory and, you know, they haven't, they've had a whole other to kind of, uh, you know, regroup and, 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 and kind of clean up some of the stuff that, didn't really, you know, they weren't happy with from that performance. So um, I would be, yeah. I would be surprised if they don't come out and, you know, build on what they, what they, what they showed us last week. Yep. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, just got to go out there and do the job and make sure Supri said, don't return the favor. Just do yeah. your job. Yeah. And, you know, That's hey, you might play an even better game and, they, they might play an even better game and it could end up one nil loss and then they go to penalties. So, I mean, <laughs> you just, you just don't know. You don't know in these competitions. It's not always about, it's not even necessarily about uh, the I better team. Told. It's about how, how it <laughs> don't beg for it. Don't beg for this stuff. Don't do that. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Get the win. Move the thing. Go for it. Yeah. Come on. For real. All yeah. right. All right, Matt, I will talk to you on Friday. You have a good evening. Take care of so long, and uh, talk yep. to you on Friday. Yep, see you. Thanks. All right, Matt Ralph. No problem. Matt Ralph, brotherly game on the Philadelphia Union, as now we are waiting for our next guest. I mean, I find it interesting while, don't get me wrong, the other games were interesting enough as it is, but it was really, really interesting to see the Columbus crew against Real Esteli, a 4-0 drubbing against Real Esteli from El Salvador. Two, zero, three, and one is not. Waiting now, apparently he's not answering his phone. We'll wait for him to uh, get ready to go. Uh, waiting for Patrick Gul'dan from the uh, massive report of uh, SB Nation on the Columbus crew as we get ready to go and uh, have some fun. And, you know, once again, the Columbus crew, as I have said, in MLS circles, defending MLS Cup champions, they really got stronger. They bring in Bradley Wright Phillips. Uh, they have Derek Etienne Jr. You know, they have a strong squad. Not much has really left this Columbus crew side. And, you know, if there's any going to be a club in MLS that's going to make a run 
And of course, obviously, as I've already said, you know, you have Atlanta United going to make a run because I think they have the horses to do so. The Columbus crew are equal to that task. Not that, that task, excuse me. So I really believe that the Columbus crew has a strong shot, depending on who they're going to face in the next round. We'll have to wait and see. But as of right now, I would give Columbus, uh, you know, a good heads up and I would say uh, advantage right now for their run in this CONCACAF Champions League. Um, It all depends on what happens moving forward. But once again, we don't know what the situation will be uh, as we await Mr. Gul'dan talk about the match in the first leg and hopefully uh, we'll get him ready to go as we await for him to pick up the phone, talk to us, uh, to talk about the crew and uh, move forward here and hopefully we'll have him on and ready to go. I mean, you know, four nil victory on the road, four away goals on the road is just unbelievable, unheard of when it comes to something like Three, this. Zero, two. And, uh, well, once again, I think that's just great tactics by um, Caleb Porter going out there, doing a job. I mean, Caleb Porter right now, it it goes to show you why he was doing so well for the Portland Timbers when he was their head coach. Now, of course, with the Columbus crew. You know, Caleb Porter, in my opinion, uh, so far has done a fantastic job. Four goals to the good, of course. Jossie Zardes in the 19th minute made it 1-0. And then Jonathan Mensah made it 2-0. Zardes gets his brace in the 33rd. Pedro Santos, the veteran on this club, he didn't have to do much, but he converts the penalty to make it 4-0 in first half stoppage time. So, you know, Elroy Room just making himself Big, huge task to move on here to get the crew to not concede. And it's a clean sheet for Columbus. They win this one by final of four goals to nil. Four away goals unheard of in competition, especially in the CONCACAF Champions League. All you can say is is that four four this club I, I like I said they were dominant they were dominating they were the ones that were um Big here, as I've said, I believe they're one of the favorites to get into a deep run into the ML, uh, the CONCACAF Champions League uh, tournament. I think they're going to do well. Patrick Gouldan, massive report. SB Nation joining me now. Patrick, uh, as I was talking earlier, I, I kind of picked Columbus, and if I jinxed them, I apologize, but I really believe the Columbus crew in my opinion, should be one of the favorites for this edition's competition in the Champions League to go very, very far. They did not disappoint 
uh, in your first leg matchup against Real Esteli? Yeah, I, I, I think that um, it, it'll be a disappointment if, uh, you know, the crew don't make some noise in this tournament. You know, they, they have a little bit of a, a tough road past uh, uh, the Nicaraguan opponent, opponent Real Esteli, uh this week. Um, you know, uh, moving on to, to Mexican team, which, you know, in season, they're, they're, they're deep, they're, they're tough. But, um, you know, this, this is a Columbus crew team that got a whole lot more uh, deep and a whole lot more talented after doing pretty well. Uh, supporter, seed, seed, uh, supporter Shield challenging an MLS Cup winning team, and you add somebody like Bradley Wright Phillips off the bench, and you add somebody like Kevin Molino, uh, as as one of your uh, starting wingers, and uh, you know, uh, you'd hope that they'd be making some noise in in Concacaf Champions League. No, I think so. And I mean, you know, you didn't really lose too much in in the club. Uh, you know, you still have all your top players intact. Obviously, maybe they're still suffering some injuries. There's maybe something a little nagging stuff here and there. But I mean, Zardes is looking strong. Uh, Jonathan Mensa took a great goal. I mean, Eloy roomed. I, I felt he didn't have much to work with. I, sure, he made a couple of good, solid saves, but I don't think he was challenged enough in this one. Yeah, I, I think you can look at uh, how, the, how the crew lined up, uh, you know, some injuries, some, some people unavailable, and you had somebody like Derek Etienne Jr. forced to play right back uh, when you have uh, Harrison Offal and Marlon Harrison out. And, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's nice to be able to go up against a a caliber of opponent like that compared to to some MLS teams that might take advantage of that. So, yeah, there's still, you know, some concern as MLS season opens uh, about some spots in the roster. But, you know, it it takes uh, losing your your two of your right backs to get down to uh, playing somebody out of position. But, you know, uh, you, you have uh, players stepping up, like even Aiden Morris, who uh, who got the start in uh, Nicaragua and, and played very well. So, you know, he kind of came out of nowhere um, in MLS Cup. I think that was his, his real uh, un, unleashing to, to the, the league and, uh, about what he's about. But he really came on strong in 2020. And, you know, that, that's a homegrown uh, player who, who can make an impact, who, who's already in the rotation in an extremely talented team. You have a, a guy like Luis Diaz who he, he, you know, struggled in his sophomore season uh, for, in, in the league and uh, really came on in the playoffs and, and, and made a difference uh, until he was forced out. And, you know, he, he, he showed up in 2021 looking like he's going to be a, a big-time difference maker as, uh, you know, the, the team reported today, Kevin Molina's out for maybe up to two months, uh, six to eight weeks, uh, with, with some uh, uh, hamstring issues. So, yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to uh, call on, um, you know, such, such, a, such a deep squad that, you know, when you have uh, Jossie Zardes and you want to give him some rest, you bring on one of the top goal scorers in, in league history. And, and even though at 36, he's not really showing any signs of slowing down. Uh, or you, you have, uh, you know, your big impact defending, defender signing from last year still, you know, kind of, uh, kind of recovering. And you still have uh, Josh Williams in there to, to cover for him instead of having Vito Warmore in there. So, uh, you know, you, you look at this. You look at uh, MLS has really tried to, to to accommodate a lot of these these deep runs in the Champions League, and 
Um, you know, the, the crew will, will likely be moving on to the next round. But even there, the, the, the team can rotate and, and, and play strong teams, you know, strong squads, you know, in CCL and in MLS and maybe not have as much of that hangover as you've seen other teams have. Uh, it's really quite a testament to the, to the, the roster building that Bez has put together and Pat Onstead has put together and being able to juggle the, the salary cap. And we haven't even gotten to uh, uh, the, the, the new Romanian young money signing that the team brought in. And uh, he's looked at as, um, you know, a left winger, uh, maybe uh, dropping in behind Zellerion when he needs a rest. You know, he made uh, quite an impact for the Romanian under-21 20, uh, t- under team uh, in, the, in the most recent uh, international window. So you have Matan uh, just, just coming out of nowhere uh, that, the, that the team even got better late in the offseason. Romanian, you say? Yeah, yeah. Al- Al- Alexander Matan, uh, uh, not quite sure on the pronunciation, uh, you know, he, he's already a U20, U20 uh, Romanian uh, player. Uh, he has, uh, you know, quite a few uh, first-team appearances, uh, made his uh, professional debut, I believe, at the age of 17. And so they're looking at him as uh, maybe the next couple of years you have, uh, I would say, the Columbus Crew is an older squad. You have somebody like uh, Jesse Zardes at 29. You have Zellerion at 27, 28, I believe. Uh, several players in their 30s, Molino's in his 30s, Pedro Santos is 33, uh, Harrison Offal 35, uh, Jonathan Mintz is, you know, o- over that 30 uh, mark as well. But, you know, they they still have some of these young players that, that you can look forward to uh, making the impact. You know, Aiden Morris at, uh, you know, 20 now. You have uh, Matan at uh, 21. You have, uh, um, uh, gosh, <laughs> He's a veteran now, but uh, you have uh, uh, Milton Valenzuela at uh, 21, 22. Uh, so, so you do have some of that youth uh, that that you're looking to to the next great crew squad, even though this one is already great. So, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the team was able to outlay. I think the the transfer fee was reported at around 1.8 million dollars. And uh, uh-huh. he's, you know, uh, he's a TAM player or, or however they're classifying the under-22 players uh, as they come in. And, you know, he, he, he's expected to contribute right away. Uh, you know, he's not one of those that they're going to hide on the roster. He's not going to play for the first year and maybe they'll get something in the second year. But, you know, even on a team as deep as this, you have, uh, you have Luis Diaz uh, trying to earn back minutes. You have Pedro Santos uh, expected to to be that key contributor still. Uh, Kevin Molina's not uh, coming here to sit on the bench, and Derek Etienne, he, you saw what he did in MLS Cup. So, you know, Matan is supposed to be another one of those players that uh, when they need that offense, that, that he's supposed to be there to be able to uh, chip in at the 10, you know, out on the wings. Uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a team that it's hard to pick – a flaw in that first 11 and sometimes even in that second 11. All right. Well, listen, you, I'll talk to you uh, this coming Friday after the match and uh, hopefully uh, we'll see what the crew will do. I, I, like I said, I, 
if it's a run between Columbus and Atlanta, depending on what happens in their second leg in the round of 16, because Guzan got sent off on a red card, uh, we'll see what happens. But I would like to see both Atlanta and Columbus actually fight for that uh, trophy, and we'll see what happens. But have a good night, and I'll talk to you on Friday. All right. Talk to you then. Talk to you then. Patrick Gouldan, Massive Report, SB Nation, on the Columbus crew. It's been pretty exciting so far. Now we head on over to the Pacific Northwest, and it's uh, brand new. Uh, Once again, he was with me on the Champions League uh, draw show. He's now with me to talk about the Portland Timbers on their 2-2 draw with Marathon of Honduras on the road. Kyle Garcia joins me. Kyle, a 2-2 draw on the road. I mean, I, I don't think you would be upset with that result, especially two away goals in your back pocket. Uh, you know, that's tough enough to get an away goal, you know, in this region. You know, a Honduran side like Marathon, you know, one of the top sides in the nation in on the club circuit. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. Um, first of all, thank you just for having me back on the show. I really appreciate you um, letting me come back and talk from Champions League. And going along with that, I, I left, personally, when I watched the game, I left it feeling pretty good about the fact that, like you said, they traveled to Honduras, played a team that already has a rhythm, has a flow to their season for, you know, it's the Timbers' first game of the year. They play in less than ideal conditions in Honduras, you know, 85-degree, very humid heat. And, and you probably saw how slow the ball would, like, roll on that field. It's not the most ideal um, conditions in general, but – you know, coming away with a 2-2 draw in that situation, it all, it feels great. I remember watching that game and kind of also thinking to myself, though, that I was a little, like, sad that they couldn't come out with a win because they looked, they played so well in the first half, the Timbers did, and really created a lot of early chances for themselves. Um, and I really thought that, you know, Mora could have finished on a couple more, a couple of shots early on, and they really just had a ton of shots, I thought, early on that they could have capitalized on, but they just didn't. But Overall, yeah, I don't think you're too mad if you're the Timbers to be able to, you know, they're back in Providence Park now, and they'll be back there for tomorrow's match in front of um, some fans, actually, and they're they're in the driver's seat. They're feeling good, I think. No, I agree with you there. Philip Mora, um, was he just a recent signing, or was he in the academy for the uh, Timbers? And, uh, you know, he played really well, like you said. Could have probably converted a couple more goals, but I really thought he had some solid chances and looked really strong in this one. Yeah, Felipe Moore, he was he was with the team last year just as a loan, actually, from Pumas uh, in a Liga MX, and he did well. He was had one, he filled in well at the number nine spot. It kind of, you know, one of the big questions with the Timbers all for, you know, all year last year and seemingly forever is what they're going to do with the number nine um, kind of striker position, and he, uh, you know, Felipe Mora is someone who really got a ton of those starters minutes though, while they put, you know, Ibobasi on the wing and then brought in, you know, Yaroslav Niazgoda off the bench. But I know they really, that the Timbers and Giovanni Savarisi, they really like what Felipe Mora brings um, at the number nine spot. And that's why they made it a priority to sign him over permanently and bring him over from Pumas instead of on loan, just permanently sign him with the team. So they, um, offered him a contract of, I believe it was around $4 million or something like that. I'd have to look at the, look it up again to get the exact number. But they really like what Felipe Mora brings. And I think he's pretty solid. 
I still think Abobasi is probably better at that number nine spot, but obviously Abobasi was out for this match with the um, hamstring injury that he's dealing with right now. And it's, you know, but Mora is a more than serviceable MLS level player, I think. And, you know, he's someone that has that Liga MX experience that um, I think allowed him, especially in something like CCL to really like, I think that's something that really translated well, especially to um, last week's match. And, we saw what he can do and, you know, for a first match back and doing starting at the number nine spot, Felipe Moore, he's someone who he was, he did pretty darn well. I thought. Yeah, me too. You know, that second goal that uh, was converted in the second half for the Timbers, I said, you can call, I think you can call it luck there. I mean, you know, Torres. Oh yeah. Uh, Denovan, I mean, that's one of those moments where you – I don't know if you've seen the video or not. The penalty kick that was saved somewhere in England, I think it was. Uh, the, the keeper saves the penalty. It's popped up in the air. The keeper celebrates. The ball comes The ball comes back down the ground. It's still rotating. It's still going. And then it goes right into the net, and the other side actually wins because the keeper forgot. They've got to <laughs> come back and stop the ball from rotating. Because when the ball continues to rotate, it's still a live ball. That was an amazing shot. And at the same time, off the in, off the outside of the upper 90, bounces down on the ground, hits the keeper, and harmfully slowly rolls into the net. That was something I never thought I'd say. Oh, gosh, that was an unbelievable. I have to look up this video, first of all, that penalty kick. That sounds hilarious to me. And then just... The Valeri kick, it was, a, it was a great kick. It was a great shot from Valeri. It was El Maestro at work at the free kick. But, yeah, no, I was, I was sad that – I was happy, obviously, that they scored the goal. That's the goal that, you know, got us their second away goal. It was really important for the Timbers. But uh, I was kind of sad that it didn't um, count as a goal just for Valeri and that it counted as an own goal against Torres because I was like, man, that was a heck of a shot, even if it, you know – even if it is technically an own goal, and it is a lucky shot, kind of like you mentioned. But oh man, that was just—it just to me, it showed that Valeri, he still got it. He's still our best like creator when Blanco's not out on the field. Um, hopefully, Blanco will be back out on the field. That's another conversation for maybe later. But he, I thought Valeri did pretty darn well on Tuesday, all, all things considered. Also, and he just you know the free kick was just another example of just him kind of showing like hey I'm still here I can still do this I can continue to be a factor for this team and I'm going to be very important in that attacking spot see I would disagree with the uh with the with the with the um with the official score on that because look I understand that he tried to make a save on that sh- on that cross or at least on that shot I understand he's trying to make a save but I mean mm-hmm. in reality there's nothing the keeper could do about it. He tried to yeah. stop the ball. Ball hits the, the the corner, comes down, bounces off of him. It's not like he intentionally kicked it in. The ball bounced off of him. You know that's that's one of those things where I think the official scorer, you know, whoever's watching it, should have not made it an own goal. Look, if he flubbed it and then he puts it into his own net, so be it. That's an own goal. That should have been given to Valeri. Valeri should have gotten credit for the goal. I know it hits the it hits the woodwork. It doesn't count as a shot. 
but what are you going to do? I don't know. I, I, to me, that should have been credited as a goal for Valeri. Yeah, I agree with you on that one because that was a heck of a shot. You know, there's nothing Torres can do in that situation either going off his own back. Exactly. Exactly. There's nothing he can do about it. Nothing he can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's more like a, you can't even call it a 50-50 ball. It's more of a no-man's-land situation. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Just, you know, that's soccer for you. You're just in the wrong position. at the you're, Actually, he's not even in the wrong position. He's in the right position. It's just it happens to bounce the exact one way. The ball bounces the one way that it cannot bounce. And some, some stack keeper signs Torres the poor own goal, and, you know, that's that. So... Uh, just the crazy world of soccer and CCL is a very CONCACAF thing to happen, I thought. Exactly. Why is that always popping up? It's a very CONCACAF thing. If it's not a CONCACAF thing, then it's not exciting. There you go. <laughs> you know as well as all of us know. If it's, a, if it's anything, you know, CONCACAF thing, CONCACAF, you know something weird is about to happen, and here it is. But I, I don't know. I mean, uh, in my opinion... I'd call it a goal for Valeri, but that's just me. You know, that's how I feel. Um, it was kind of tough to see that second goal getting scored by Marlon Ramirez from Marathon. Um, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. It was a good shot. Put it in. But as you said already, you're not upset. It's a 2-2 draw. You get your two away goals in your back pocket. And right now, you're on the advantage on away goals going back to Providence Park. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I will say here, I, I, I consider myself an optimist most of the time, but if I will get, though, if there's any part of me that's a little bit pessimistic, it was a little disappointed to kind of see that those two goals that Maritone scored, they happened immediately after the Timbers scored. Both of those goals are pretty soon after, within like a couple minutes of them happening. I think the, I think the big thing that stood out to me was that, you know, the Timbers – they kind of looked a little too much. And it makes sense because, you know, they didn't change the roster a ton. They didn't have any too many dramatic things except for at the fullback position, obviously, with the, um, a couple new players there. But it was a little worrisome to kind of see them kind of have that quick lapse after both of their goals because, you know, that was just something that plagued the Timbers all year last year. It was just giving up these goals at very inopportune moments after, you know, after scoring a big goal or in the final 15 minutes of a game when you're that you're up by multiple goals. And it's just like, it worried me just a little bit to see that kind of happen in those situations, just because, you know, it gives you these kind of horrible flashbacks of like the first round against FC Dallas, where, you know, Jorge Villafania scores this goal, beautiful goal. And then immediately the Timbers give up a goal and they go into PKs and they lose in the first round to who, what I, what I considered an inferior FC Dallas team. So, but this is kind of a capital focus on that. And just when it comes to that, I still, you know, we're still right. It's still a positive result, but I will say that's one thing I want to make sure, um, or if I were, um, you know, an ardent Timbers army um, supporter or Timbers army guy, I would think about, and I would be concerned that that's kind of how you're giving up these goals. It's just these very quick, you know, counterattacking situation where your fullbacks are, you know, caught advancing a little too much. And now they're playing catch up before they get stuck in a bad one V one situation or Eric Williamson just kind of gets caught up in the midfield, even though Williamson played a great game, I thought um, against the 
against Maritone last Tuesday. Um, but yeah, so that's something I think that's going to be worth keeping an eye on both for this season and also just for, um, just for this next upcoming matches. Are the Timbers going to play the full 90 and stay strong during that stretch? Or are they going to continue to have these like little lapses in between, but, you know, allow a team like Maritone to, you know, stay in the game. Yeah, I agree with you there. We'll see what happens, but, um, Getting ready for this week, obviously, I'll hope to have you on on Friday to talk about the match, the second leg. Um, what, what do you think you have to be aware of with Marathon coming to Providence Park? I mean, I like to think you'll have the advantage. You'll have a lot of fans, obviously. But what do you think Giovanni Savarese needs to do to get this club ready to go? No messing around. Obviously, a draw will help the Timbers advance, depending on you know, how many goals get scored, but what do you think the Timbers need to do to advance into that quarterfinal round? I think it's a great question. I think I talked to Giovanni Savarese today and Eric Williamson. They both had a press conference earlier today with media members, um, just their pregame thing. And one thing I asked them about, because I was most curious about, and I think it's the biggest thing that the Timbers always have to guard against, is this idea of complacency. It's this idea of, you know, all right, we just scored a goal. We're feeling good. Our Timbers Army, you know, they're riling us up. We're feeling great. And then, oh, shoot, in two minutes, that Marathon just scored in two minutes immediately after that. So I think the big thing is, you know, not staying complacent from, like, a generic standpoint. In terms of strategy, it's just sticking to what worked with against Marathon. They, like I kind of said earlier, the Timbers had no problem creating chances I loved what Jose Carlos Van Rankin and Claudio Bravo actually brought to the game. Van Rankin, he had the first assist of 2021 for the for the Timbers, and it was because he had no just he just had no regard for what the traditional heat map looks like for a fullback, and just was coming up along the side and basically was functioning as almost a left wing at different you know at different points. So I think just trying to stay aggressive on the attack like that and not being afraid to go full throttle, and then just making sure you don't stay complacent you know, complacent after getting a goal or two and making sure that you stay solid um, defensively, that'll probably be the key. And then another one little thing to add on that'll be interesting to see is, you know, it'll be interesting to find out what happens if we get to see some Sebastian Blanco action or someone, or, you know, get to see if he comes back in this game. It, It was kind of hinted at that he's very close to returning. He traveled with the team to Honduras. And, you know, I think if, this happens to be his retur- the day he returns. Savarisi didn't say anything about that, but I'm kind of curious if maybe you know for it'd be a very poetic return if they have him. They can they'll be able to do that a little bit better, just putting the pedal to the metal on that attack and just uh, really going at Marathon um, with as much um, kind of offensive firepower as possible. So I don't know. I think it's going to be a fun match on tomorrow. I think we're going to be in for another good one. I think so, too. All right. You take care of yourself. I will talk to you later. And thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me on. No problem. Thank you for coming on. All right. That's Kyle Garcia, Stumptown Footy, SB Nation, joining me tonight. A big moment here, of course, for him. Uh, And, of course, for the Timbers, they ended up with a 2-2 draw at Honduran Side Marathon. Um Usually I have John Jagu on. Unfortunately, he's not available for tonight. Hopefully we'll have him on Friday night for, a round, for the second leg. Um, 
Some of the other scores, of course, from the Liga MX side outside of Toronto and Club, uh, uh, Club Leon. Uh, first leg, it was the uh, Haitian side, Arcahane, with a scoreless draw against Cruz Azul. They will be heading on the road uh, to Mexico, and that'll be on the 13th of April. Um, so let's see what happens if you get they get away goals. Toronto FC, of course, as I've said, they're going to take on Leon uh, over at uh, Osceola County Stadium in Kissimmee, Florida. And that'll be on April the 14th. Monterey destroying Atletico Pantoja of the Dominican Republic. That's a three-goal victory and a clean sheet uh, for Monterey. The return leg back in Mexico, because that'll be on April 15th. Uh, at the Estadio BBVA in Monterrey. Um, and then, of course, moving on, uh, a result where Club America goes on the road, beats Honduran side Olympia by a final of two goals to one, and then the return leg will be at the Estadio Azteca in Mexico City, and that will be all, and that's going to be on the 14th of April, Atlanta United taking on Aluenza at Fifth Third Bank Stadium uh, at Kennesaw State University. That'll be on April 13th. Philadelphia Union will be hosting Deportivo Saprissa of Costa Rica on April 14th. That will be at Subaru Park in Chester, Pennsylvania. And Columbus Crew at Crew, um, what are they calling it now? Hillside Crew Stadium. I have to read this. I have to read this whole thing. But it will be at the Columbus Crew Stadium in Columbus, Ohio, uh, as the Columbus Crew will host Real Esteli on April the 15th. And then, of course, um, as we uh, finish up this whole situation, Portland Timbers taking on Club Deportivo Marathon on April the 13th at Providence Park in Portland, Oregon. If you want to watch your MLS clubs in English, Fox Sports 1, uh, even maybe also on Fox Sports 2, and if you'd rather watch it all in Spanish, T-U-D-N for whatever language you'd like to watch these matches being played. Big matches tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, for the round of 16 in the first leg of this CONCACAF Champions League. The second leg show will be this coming Friday. And then the next two Fridays, we will review the CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinals, both the first leg and the second leg. I want to thank my guests tonight, Dwayne Rollins in Toronto, uh, Matt Ralph in Philadelphia, Patrick Gouldan in Columbus, and Kyle Garcia over in Portland, Oregon. Hopefully we'll have um, Jason Longshore. This, I know we'll have him on for Atlanta. And then hopefully we'll have John Jagu on as well. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listen, listening to me tonight. Join me this coming Friday for the second leg review show of the CONCACAF Champions League, the 2021 edition. Have a good night. Take care so long. And please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.